Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you became kings. And would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 through 17. Thank you, Jonathan. The Corinthian church had a problem, a really big problem. And I, when I think about the problem of the Corinthian church, I cannot imagine how Paul felt when he went, went to write the letter of 1 Corinthians. You see, we call it 1 Corinthians, but it's not the first correspondence between Paul and this church. Paul had served in Corinth for 18 months. And in those 18 months, he had built up this church, and then he leaves. And this church, when he leaves, is, is hopefully pretty healthy. I mean, I think Paul had a pretty good feeling about the church and a pretty good idea about where the church was at. And then, then he goes off to Ephesus, or, or some, he eventually winds up in Ephesus, and, and they start corresponding back and forth. And the, the Corinthian church asks him a few questions, and so he clarifies a few things. And then the Corinthian church reads what he's clarified, and they say, well, that doesn't help us. So then they send him another set of questions, either by letter or through a messenger. But, but when they send that to Paul, Paul is faced with he needs to respond to those things. And there's a lot of a marriage and sexual ethics food and idol worship, how the gifts are being used in the church, what, what Paul is hearing from the people and what Paul is hearing from other Christian workers is that there's something wrong. 
the, one of his fellow workers, Apollos, who was another worker in Corinth, Paul desires to send Apollos back to Corinth when he sends the letter of 1 Corinthians to them. But Apollo says, nah, I'm good. He's like, I don't want to go back there. He's so burnt out. He's like, I, I will go serve somewhere else. But Corinth is not for me right now. And so Paul is tasked with writing a letter. And, and the starting point, the, the biggest challenge of this letter is that when Paul goes to write this letter, he has things that they've asked him to address, but he also knows something else. The, the Corinth church has become so split into factions, so divided, that when he writes this letter, there are going to be people who read this letter who say, you know what, I don't really follow Paul, so this is all great, but I follow Peter, or I follow Apollos, I, I, I follow Christ, I, I don't really follow Paul, so I don't need to listen to the things that he says. And so Paul is faced with writing a letter to an audience where many of them have no desire to listen to the words he has to say. And so this morning, we're going to look at how Paul responds to the Corinthian church, how he begins his argument with the Corinthian church on, on first off, why they should listen to him, but, but a bigger idea on who they are. And as we do this, we're going to try and answer a question. And the question may seem simple at first. The, the question that we're going to start off trying to answer is, what was it that brought you into saving faith in Jesus Christ? What was it that brought you into saving faith in Jesus Christ? And, and there's a lot of answers to this, but there is only one right answer, and we're, we're going to get to it. But, but I want to tell you that, that as we look at this, this is how Paul starts his argument to the Corinthian church of why, basically, why they should listen to him and why they shouldn't have all this division. And so we're going to look at that in a moment, but first let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for how good you are. We thank you for just how loving you are for, for all that you have given to us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Um, I thank you that this week as I worked, your spirit was moving and, and just, just opening my eyes to your word. I, I thank you that um, you work in us together in community. We, we thank you that your spirit is just constantly moving. And we pray today that your spirit would be moving in this place, that you would give us all ears to hear what you have to say, and, and that you would be speaking through me. They would be your words and not mine. And I, I pray as we look at this message that Paul had for the early Corinth church, I, I pray for each and every one of us that at the end of the day we don't say, man, I hope someone here heard that, but instead we say, what do I need to do now? I, I, I pray that we take this to heart because the message Paul has is for infant believers and very mature believers together. And, and his challenge for them is a challenge that still applies to us today. And I, I pray we would just take that to heart. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 4. But there's a problem. Um, 1 Corinthians 4 is the summary of something that started in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. So we're going to, in the first half of our sermon, we're going to do a, a lot of review and, and a lot of catching up. And, and so right away, there, there's a problem. Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthian church, and he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And on the surface, if you just read this verse in like a vacuum, it's like, oh yeah, let's all, just, let's all just agree about everything. And then in reality and practice, this becomes at least a little difficult, right? It, it's not easy for everyone to have the same mind and the same judgment. But, and and, and there's, there's issues in the church because right as Paul writes this, he goes on to say, for it has been reported to me by close people who 
Chloe is a fellow worker with Paul, and her people would have been working in the church. And it's been reported to Paul by them that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. And what I mean by this is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, which is Peter, or I follow Christ. And, and this is a problem right off the bat. Again, if, if Paul's writing a letter to people trying to correct action in them, and half the people who read this letter or more are going to say, well, I don't really follow Paul. Do, do you see the problem? It seems almost like a waste of time. Like, hey, to my faction, follow this. To everyone else, good luck. But, but Paul sees the problem here, and the problem here is bigger than that they follow Paul or they follow Apollos or they follow any of these earthly things. And, and it may be noted here, some of you may say, well, I follow Christ. That one sounds good. Um, but, but what we assume from the way it's written is that Paul is saying, some of you trumpet, like someone's like, well, I follow Paul, so we should do things this way. And someone says, I follow Christ, I want to do it this way. It's not necessarily a good thing in this context. See, the idea is that whenever an argument comes up in the church, someone says, well, I follow Paul, so I'm going to do it this way. And what's more, and we're going to see this as we go, it's not just about, well, I follow Paul, it's, I'm one of the first people Paul baptized. I'm a founder here. I'm a big deal. Well, I follow Apollos, and when he came, things got better. He preached it way better. Or I follow Peter. He, he came later, but he was the one closest to Jesus, right? So, I mean, he baptized me. I'm a big deal. That's what Paul is dealing with. And so, so his response to this, Paul, who's one of the biggest deal apostles, he, he wrote like a third of the New Testament or more. Paul's response to this immediately could be many things. But what he does is, I think, very unexpected. He says, is Christ divided? That's his first thing. The answer to that, of course, is no. Christ is not divided. And then he said, was Paul crucified for you? He doesn't say, was I crucified for you? He says, was Paul crucified for you? And why that is important is because he draws attention to his name to make you remember the guy writing this was not crucified for you. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Paul wants you to see Christ is not divided. I'm not that big of a deal. He goes on in the next three verses to talk about, I'm glad I didn't baptize very many of you. And, and that's a really funny statement uh, to me as a Christian, because, as a pastor, because it's so exciting to be able to be a part of baptisms. I, we got to do some last week. We got to do some on the mission trip. I love baptisms. But Paul talks about, I'm, I'm glad I didn't baptize more of you. I mean, I, I, I'm, I can remember I, Gaius and Cephas, uh, maybe the house of Stephanus. There's anyone else I don't remember. And he, he's, he's like, I'm, I'm glad I didn't do more because it would have caused more division. Paul's point is that you're not baptized in my name. In fact, Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 1.17 to say, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now, some of you may wonder, like, okay, why do we have to get baptized then? If Christ did not send Paul to baptize. But, but the point of this is not about minimizing baptism. The point of this is that baptism is part of the response to the gospel. And so the gospel has to be preached, the gospel has to be responded to, and then baptism. Paul's goal wasn't to come and baptize a whole bunch of people. That wasn't his plan at all. Paul is like, you guys are focused on who baptized you? Why aren't you focused on the name in which you were baptized? Why aren't you focused on the one who died on the cross for you in the first place? Why are you emptying that of its power to go after worldly wisdom? Because that's the tension here. The tension here is that the early Corinth church, once Paul leaves, they begin to break up into these factions because they are focused on the wisdom of the world. 
who said it best? Who, who was the better person when they came? They, the, in, in their day, there would have been this idea of wisdom where you would have seen like different speakers come in and they would have argued their case and then the people would have acted with almost an aloofness and said, well, I like what he said about that. Well, I follow this person. I think that they have said it better. And by doing that, they put themselves outside of the gospel message because what they're doing is instead of doing the work of the gospel and instead of remembering the point of the gospel, They are building themselves up in worldly wisdom to say, I have a better understanding of this than so-and-so. Or, oh, you understand that from him? Well, I follow Paul. So So, so the, the, the point here is that this tension comes up and Paul says, I didn't come to you with words of eloquent wisdom. And he goes on to say, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach, to save those who believe. Pastor Rich talked about this last week. We talked about the wisdom of the cross and the wisdom of the world, and we have to talk about it a bit more today. And what I want to point out today is Paul says, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach. Through the folly of what we preach. Paul, when he says we, is talking about himself and the apostles, the early leaders of the Christian church. And he is saying, what we preach is folly based on the wisdom of the world. And, and so I, I want you to think about this for a moment because this is so important. The, the message, God created the heavens and the earth. And when he created the heavens and the earth, before that existed, there was already the triune God, all-knowing, all-powerful, perfect, holy. Everything about him, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are in perfect unity, in love, in a perfect relationship, having no need of anything else. That God creates the heavens and the earth. For God's glory and man's good, he says, I'm going to make humanity in my likeness, in my image. And so humanity is placed on the earth as image bearers of God, and they are told, you are going to rule the earth. And so for six days of creation, things are good, and then then God comes up and he says, "We're, we're going to put these people that are my image bearers on this earth, and then it will be very good. And they are tasked with ruling the world, and God gives them one command, and he, basically, he says, don't eat from this one tree, but, but in everything else, he puts them in a garden paradise where heaven and earth meet, where they walk with God, where they are in perfect relationship, where they are able to do work, which we were created to do. But as they are doing that work, they're also in perfect relationship and communion with God and each other. And then they sin. And when they sin, God doesn't just kick them out. What God does instead, in that moment, what God does is he makes a promise above them. He makes a promise that says, I will someday destroy evil. I will someday put an end to this, and it will come through humanity. And then Genesis 1 through 11, we see a pattern develop of just fallen and brokenness, and things get worse and worse and worse. And every time you think something might be better, it gets worse and worse and worse as humanity contends with God more and more. And that is the pattern of the entire Old Testament. God promises humanity things. Humanity doesn't live up to our side of the promises, and God says, I'm going to keep my promises. And that doesn't end in the Old Testament. But when you come to the New Testament, when you come to Jesus, God, who said, I will put an end to the sin, I will put an end to this, he sends his son Jesus, who is fully God and fully man. Jesus comes through Mary, through a virgin birth, and he lives and walks on this earth. He trains up the disciples. He announces the coming of a new kingdom. And then he dies on a cross. And three, he's buried, and three days later, he rises again. And he ascended to heaven, and he now sits at the right hand of the Father. 
That is what Paul is talking about here. He says, it pleased God that through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. What Paul is saying is that that message to the world is utter nonsense. That message to the world is utter nonsense. And the implication of this, I want you to hear this deeply. The implication of this is so important. We're asking the question, what brought you to saving faith in Christ? We're asking that question, and what I want to tell you is that the wisest, most intelligent person in the world, on their own, with a Bible in front of them, with every piece of resource in front of them that they could have of the world, would reject the gospel message. You, on your own, if you're a believer here, this might be hard to believe. If you became a believer when you were really young, this might be really hard to believe. If, if you grew up in the church, your parents grew up in the church, early in your life you heard the gospel and you responded to it. I just want you to know that you, on your own, did not respond to the gospel. You could not respond to it in worldly wisdom. If you were the wisest, most intelligent person in the world, you could not respond to the gospel on your own. Because the gospel and the wisdom of God that is presented in the gospel is utter nonsense to the world. And so Paul is talking to people who are saying, well, I like Paul on this, but I like Apollos on this. Well, I follow Peter, so none of that matters. He's talking to these people that are puffing up in the wisdom of the world. They are arrogant. They are playing these things against each other so they can keep living the way they want. Because instead of focusing on the unity that they have because of what Christ has done for them, they are focused on the wrong things. And, and we're going to go very deep into this, but I want to tell you that the reason that we cannot come to saving faith on our own is because we are of the world. And until the Holy Spirit reveals to us that truth, we cannot accept the gospel message. My testimony is a testimony. When I was 10, on my birthday, there, there was a, I, I remember it was, I, I'm born on May 26th, and so it was a Memorial Day Sunday. And at our church, on Memorial Day weekend, there's never children's ministry. And so I was like a fifth grader or fourth grader at the time. I get it confused. But, but the pastor did a sermon where they covered all the windows in the church. And they had these big windows. And they covered all of them. And he preached. And about halfway through the sermon, he pulled out a candle and he lit it. And they turned off all the lights in the building. And he did this amazing sermon where he talked about God is light. And then at one point during the sermon, he blew out the candle. And he talked about the reality of what happens if we reject that message. And it was a phenomenal sermon, as much as I can remember it. I mean, I was 10. But, but I, I do remember it. I remember what I felt when it went dark. And I remember going home and that night sitting on my waterbed, and my mom was there in a room that she painted. It was an awesome room. And, and we're talking about the gospel message. And, and she walked me through the Romans road. And at the end of it, I said, that, I, be, I want that relationship with God. I do not want to be separated from God. And that moment did not happen because that pastor did an amazing job. That moment did not happen because my mom was there and, and was like, I know the Romans Road really well. My, my mom and dad were uh, wrapping Moses and his wife in a VBS, and that's not why I became a believer. The, the, the point of all of this is that at the core, at the heart of it, the reason we become believers, the reason that we have a saving faith in Jesus Christ is not at all because of how wise we were in responding to this message. Because on our own, this message is nonsense. The reality is, is that because of the gospel, the Holy Spirit revealed to us the wisdom of God and we begin to respond to it. I hope, I hope you hear that. Because it's hard. Because, because we want to say, you know, we want to say like, oh, well, I heard the message and I, it, like, I, man, I got it. I, we want to puff ourselves up. That's what the Corinthian church was doing. Maybe you don't. Like that, I don't like admitting my deficiencies or wrongs, and I don't like when other people tell me them. Um, if you have f negative feedback about the sermon, but that was supposed to be a joke. I'm sorry, I'm talking really fast. So I, but anyways, uh, 
no, I'll, I'll take it. I can take it, okay? I'm a big boy. Um, but but the, the point here is that I don't like to think that on my own I re- would reject the gospel. But if the Bible is true, on my own I absolutely will reject the gospel. Because without God, it, it talks about this all over the Bible, how God says no one comes to me unless the Father draws me. There, there's all of these pictures where without the Holy Spirit, we cannot come to the Father. We cannot. And, and so that is the tension here. And so Paul, that, that, that's the answer to our first question of what brought us to saving faith in Christ. And, and Paul goes on to start talking about the ministry that he did. Because if you're going to focus on Paul or Apollos or all of these other worldly wisdom things, Paul's got to set them straight. And so he goes on, and in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I didn't do like an amazing job with this sermon. Instead, I, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He didn't outlogic them. He didn't like, and, and, and convince them of everything through just his amazing amazing speech and instead he focused on christ jesus and him crucified and i and paul says i was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling and my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom but in demonstration demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of god paul's point here and and it's it becomes more and more clear as we go but paul's point here is that when he preached to the corinthians he did not want them to come away from this sermon saying or come away from his message over those 18 months saying paul's really good i want to follow paul that would be a failure so the fact that he's hearing reports that people are saying i follow paul talking about well paul baptized me paul is like no remember what i did when i came if you're following me because of how wise i was when i came i didn't focus on my wisdom i i was a chump when i came to you i i focused instead on jesus christ and him crucified it wasn't about my eloquent or eloquent speech it was about christ and what he did that is what you responded to not the amazingness of my arguments but you responded to jesus christ and him crucified because of the holy spirit that is such a hard thing to, to, for Paul to hear, I cannot imagine how frustrated he must have been in hearing that. I will tell you, one of the things, being a youth pastor, working with ages like 12 through 18, um, one of the hardest things about walking a young person to Christ is, is that it is really, really easy to logic someone to say a prayer. It is really easy to get someone to go, oh, I don't want to go to hell, and to completely miss the message. In the second half of our message today, we're going to move towards the idea of we are the scum of the earth. And that is what we should aspire to be. Paul says, imitate me like the scum of the earth, the refuse of all things. We're going to talk about that, that in the second part. And if we, don't, if we don't include any of that, and if we just focus on, well, heaven or hell, what do you want? It's pretty easy to get a 12-year-old to say, I really don't want to go to hell. And I don't say this flippantly. I don't say this flippantly. I, I want to tell you, every time I sit down with someone to share the gospel, my hope and prayer is that the Holy Spirit is speaking through me, and my hope and prayer is that I see a moment where the person on the other side, a Holy Spirit moment. And I can tell you, a couple years ago, we had a guy named Andy here, and one of my favorite memories is I walked him through the gospel, we did the Romans Road, and we used French fries. And there's a moment where he said, I think I'm okay with all that. I don't know. And I was like, well, walk me through it. And he started to redo the, the thing with the French fries. They were from Tommy's and Crystal Lake. And, and there's a point where he, like, held up the the french fry that represent jesus and just went whoa and he started tearing up because in that moment he he understood for the first time the cross 
and the power of the cross, and not because he understood it because of all the things I was saying, but because the Holy Spirit was there. On the mission trip with a girl, I had the, the chance to, to talk with her, and it was getting super late. We had a couple leaders in the room on the other side. We were in an auditorium and just kind of walking through the gospel. And there was a point near the end of our conversation where I was like, okay, it's time to go to bed. <laughs> These four other leaders, I, I think they were enjoying their conversation, but, but we're all just getting tired. And, and I, I felt like we just kind of circled around. And I was like, Lord, like I just... Like, in my head, I'm just praying, Lord, like, it, it, it seems like it might be time. And so, so in that moment where I'm like, so, you know, maybe I can pray for you, and maybe we can kind of wrap up, and we can talk more later this week. And the, the girl just kind of paused. And after a moment, she said, no, I want to do this right now. And it was a complete shift of how she had been communicating up till that point. And that's because the Holy Spirit, things were just clicking. And then she, I was like, well, what do you mean? And then she started to walk me through the gospel on her own. And, you, like, and all of a sudden, I'm like, she's using the arguments for the gospel that I had to use with her objections. And all of a sudden, she sees it. And once she sees it, she's on board. And that's what Paul is talking about, the power of the Holy Spirit. When it works, that is what draws us into saving faith in Jesus Christ. It is not about what we do. It is about what Christ has done in us. Paul goes on to say, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, I'm, I'm skipping around a lot in 1 Corinthians today. We're, we're like flying through the theme of 1 Corinthians 1 through 4. But what I want to tell you here is that, that one of the biggest ideas here is that spiritual wisdom and worldly wisdom do not coexist. They cannot coexist. If you become a believer and say, okay, now I got that taken care of, now what does it look like to live well in this world? Unless you're looking towards the Spirit, you are looking the wrong way. If you are not growing in your spiritual depth, if you are not growing closer to God through the Spirit, then you're just growing in worldly wisdom. And, and Paul talks a whole lot about this because he goes on to talk about, in, in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. Paul was with them 18 months and he wanted to address them as spiritual people, but he couldn't because they were, they were acting as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. As infants in Christ. Jess and I are about to have a baby. And when we have that baby, that baby will, like, Lord willing, like, continue to grow. Um, because babies eat and sleep and poop and grow. And that, that's what they do. And they, they get bigger and bigger. And over time, they, you, you can't stop it. Parents, you know this. I, we were home with our nieces and nephews on vacation this last week. And my sister, their, their youngest, is now walking and starting to communicate. And she's like sometimes like tearing up like, this is the last little one we're going to have. I can't go backwards with this. Because it, it doesn't stop. And, and that's true of human infants and babies and toddlers, and they, they just grow, and eventually they're adults, whether or not their maturity matches that. It, it happens. But, but in the case of people who are infants in Christ, church, I want to tell you, it is possible to go 50 years of your life as an infant in Christ. It is possible to just sit around drinking spiritual milk, never growing. And you have to hear that. That is so important, because if you are a spiritual infant, if you hear, like, well, I follow so-and-so, so why am I listening to Matt? If you think that today, 
please come talk to me after, and you can tell me all about it, but, but I just want to encourage you that the point of this is not about my message. The point of this is about the Spirit of God, and if we are responding to the Spirit of God, we're going to grow. If we're not responding to the Spirit of God, we are going to say spiritual infants. The point of this church is about that growth because uh, he keeps going. Paul, Paul says, I fed you with milk, not solid food. I wanted to give you solid food for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready yet because you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? That is such a human way of thinking. Paul goes on to say, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Because There's a question here that I think is really funny. Um, I am employed by this church full-time. Um, a lot of students are surprised to hear that. They think I have a day job. And um, it's really fun. So what do you do when you're not at church, Matt? Well, I'm at church all the time. But, but the, so, so this question is a good question. If the Holy Spirit is doing everything, how do we justify paying Matt's salary? It's, a, it's an important question here, I think. Um, but, but the point here is, is Paul starts to talk about, well, well, so if the Holy Spirit's the one who did everything, that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit didn't use us. We were servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. But you did not believe in Paul. You did not believe in Apollos. You believed in the message of the gospel that was revealed to you by the Spirit. And Paul uses three examples. We do not have time to go into them, but I'm going to just give you a brief overview. Three examples to explain the purpose of Paul and Apollos and all of the apostles in the early church. And the first thing he talks about is, you are God's field. And God sent Paul to plant, Apollos to water, but it is God who did the growing. So it's not the one who plants or the one who waters that matters, but the one who grows. Jess and I have a failing herb garden every year. Um, and, and she's good at raising other things, but I, am, I, I would love to raise a lot of basil. basil. Um, but, but I am unable to do it. Because every time I plant it, it dies. No matter what I do, I've just given up on it. I've just given up. And this last year, we, we had on the side of our house, we had these bulbs that we put in like a year ago. And man, it seemed like they all just died. They, they grew earlier this year and then died again. And then we just got home from vacation. We haven't been home in a week. We get home from vacation, and there are these beautiful flowers, like this tall. And it's, it's not because of anything we did. I, I promise. I, did we wa- I don't think we watered them at all. But, but the point here is that a farmer can do everything in their power to plant, to water, to do everything they can, bring fertilizer in, to set all the conditions to the best of their ability. But they're not in control of the weather. They're not in control of the rain. They're, they're not in control of so many things. And so Paul's point here is that it is the Lord who grows. It is by the Spirit that growth occurs. So this message, I could do a really good job or a really bad job, but if the Spirit isn't in it, it does not matter. Paul goes on from there abruptly to say, you are God's field, and then he says, God's building. He goes from organic to the opposite, and he starts talking about manufacturing. And Paul says, like a skilled laborer, I put down a foundation. And that foundation isn't Paul, that foundation is Christ. Once the foundation of Christ was there, now the question is what's going to be built on it? And that's where Apollos and Paul and these other leaders matter because they're going to build on top of it. And the imagery he uses is he says, are they going to build with gold or stone or precious stones? Are they going to build with hay or wood or straw? And the idea is, and he says, like, in in the final day, in the day of judgment, that's going to pass through a fire. And and the, the proof that Apollos or Paul did a good job, and the proof that the Spirit was in it 
will be if at the end of the day there's anything standing on that foundation. We don't have time to talk about rewards in the new heaven and new earth today. That's a whole another thing. But, but the picture is, is that what the apostles, Paul, the, the idea of pastors, the idea of leaders in our church is that the way we are building on the foundation that is Jesus Christ, we want to build something that lasts for eternity, not made with hay or wood or straw. We don't want to foolishly build. We want to build something on which when it passes through the fire, it will stand the judgment. And so, so Paul uses that imagery of, of a, a foundation of a building. And finally, Paul says, do you not know that you are God's temple? Anyone who destroys the temple will perish. And the, the idea here is he, he builds on this idea of we together are God's temple. And, and by the third one, he's talking cooperatively that, that they should be working as well. Because everyone who was in the temple was a part of that worship. And so if they are a part of God's temple, if they are God's temple, then they should be a part of the work being done. And so we, we come to the, the, the verses that Jonathan read at the beginning, and we're going to read through these quickly. And as we go, I'm going to draw out for you the, the point of all of this. Because, because if you, first off, if you are not a believer, if you've never heard the gospel message or if you've never responded to it, and today you feel a prompting from the Holy Spirit, I will be just right up here after the service. I would love to talk to you about it. Please don't leave without talking to someone. If, if you are a believer here, I want to tell you that, that just because you're a believer, you might be a very infant believer. And we're going to look at the mark of maturity in Christ. And that's what we're going to finish on in these next like five to ten minutes. So, so Paul says, let no one... Oh, they're different. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. If you are wise by the standards of the world, you are a fool. And, and I want to say a couple things on this real quick because one of the things, one of the easy applications that you can take from this is, well, I'm a Christian and I know that the world, people of the world don't like that I'm a Christian. Therefore, I don't live by the standards of the world. But Paul is not talking on that general level of, well, since you're a Christian, people are going to think you're foolish. What Paul is talking about is in, in the way you live, when you interact with other people, do they think you're wise by the standard of the world? Do they think you're wise by the world, like worldly standards? And if they do, and if that's how you live, if that's what you value, if that's what you put your focus on, then you're a fool. You're not living the way you should be living. I, you need to become a fool in the standards of the world to be made wise in the, in, inside of the Spirit of God, inside, inside the wisdom of God. The imagery of this, the reason our Thrive logo is upside down is because Jesus came to bring an upside down kingdom where, where everything, like the, the first will be the last and, and the, the lowest will be the greatest. The one who died on the cross who was our king died for us in our place and that is the lowest of low that he could become in order that we might be able to join him. And so when you flip that over and when you see the world in that way, the wisdom of the world no longer makes sense. They cannot coexist. We have to live one way or the other. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, Peter, or, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ and Christ is God's. Paul is saying, if you live by this spiritual wisdom, you don't need to worry about the wisdom of the world because you have such a greater wisdom. You're going to be part of the new heaven and new earth. All of this is going to be yours in a way that is so much better than getting what you want in the world here and now. If you live by the worldly wisdom, you're missing the point because all, like, we don't need to worry about that because instead we're going to grow in the spirit. We are becoming, going to become more and more like Christ. And as we do that, the world will be ours in a way that it just can't be now at all.
Paul goes on. He, uh, w- w- there's a little, I'm, I'm bouncing past, there's a little thing where Paul talks about, you guys can't even judge me. And, and we're not going to talk about it, but I want you to know Paul is not being a jerk. He is pointing, in case you read it, but Paul is not being a jerk. Paul is responding to the people, and Paul is saying, hey, just so you know, I'm judged by God, and when I was among you, I, I did the work to lay the foundation of Jesus Christ. And so if you are judging that I didn't do it well, you're judging the wrong thing. Because if you're judging me against other people, judge me against the Spirit. Really, don't judge me. That's the job of the Lord, and let him do that. That's not what your job is. And, and so Paul goes on to say, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. That word puffed up is literally arrogant. They're so arrogant among each other that the divisions stand. And he goes on to say, for I think God has exhibited us apostles, so the early leaders of the church, I think God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. The, the imagery here is like, like martyrs being walked into the Colosseum with no weapons to just for the entertainment of the world and for the masses at a Colosseum, walking as people come in to just be murdered in front of them. That's the language. And if you think back to Christ on the cross... And Paul is saying it's happening to all of us who follow Christ now. All of us early leaders who are following Christ, it feels like that's where this is headed. And, and he goes on to say, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. He says, you guys are so focused on the world that, that I'm telling you that we're a spectacle. And you're like, yeah, they're a spectacle, but look how wise we are. And he's saying, no, you're not. We are weak, but you are strong. No, you're not. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. The, the imagery that Paul is focused on here is, you guys are looking at us and saying, because we don't have wealth, and because as we preach this gospel, we're not becoming wiser, like we're not being lifted up by the worldly peers that we have, because we are not becoming better by the standard of the world, you think we're less. And you're not sure if you want to follow us. And what Paul is saying is, what? We, we worked with our own hands. Like, everything that we did, we had to do. And we did this because this is what it means to live out the gospel. It means that when we're among you, our goal is not for our gain, but our goal is for the Spirit to be at work. And, and he goes on, he says, when reviled, we bless. So when people are reviling them, treating them poorly, they bless them. When they're persecuted, they endure. When slandered, we entreat. All three of those things, when they are mistreated, their response is like Christ. They, they don't attack back. They don't fight back. Instead, they live more and more like Christ. And then he says, and this is where we're going to land, he says, we have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. When, when you hear that language, the scum of the world and the refuse of all things, what, what you need to know, um, the best illustration I can give of this, um, so there's a dog part in Sunset Park, just up there a little ways. Imagine if dog owners did not have to pick up their dog droppings. And imagine if after like five years of that, you walked through that field, not caring where you stepped. And imagine after that, you go home and you scrape it all off and then you found the grossest part of it. The scraping of the scrapings. 
That's what, that's what Paul says they are. He says, we have become and we are still like this. That's what the wisdom of God is to the wisdom of the world. They cannot coexist. One is so far low while the other is so far high. And which is which in your worldview? That's the challenge here because at the end of the day, Paul, Paul makes a simple call. He, he goes on and he says in 1 Corinthians 4.16, right after this, he says, I urge you, be imitators of me. He says right before that, I'm your spiritual father. It's not that me being your father is what matters, but, but he says, be imitators of me. And what he's saying, what's laced in that is in the way that I imitate Christ, the one who died on the cross for you, and in the way Christ revealed himself to me on the road to Damascus, in, in the way that I have lived my life for him, becoming lower and lower by the standards of the world, I want you to live the same way. And if you're not living the same way, it is a sign of spiritual infancy. If you are at peace in the world and your worldview, you are able to just walk around in the world and when you share with people, not when you walk around, when you share about Christ with people, they look at you and say, you are foolish. That's not a bad sign. Hopefully the Holy Spirit works in it and then they go, oh, I want to know more. But I have, I have less friends. I have people in my life that when they find out a pastor, it's one thing, but when I actually talk to them, about the gospel, they stare at me like I'm an idiot. And I, I, I just, I want to I challenge you all with this. Do you live in a way where you would be at peace with being the scum of the world? Because that's what we're called to. That's what Christ did when he said, carry your cross daily. That's what Paul does. And, and he says, be imitators of me. And lay them as be imitators of Christ. And so that's what we're called to live like. And it's not fun. But when you have that spiritual wisdom, when you lean into that, when you grow in that, the, the promise is when we see wisdom the right way, like when we see the spiritual wisdom the right way, as we grow in that, we know that Paul rejoices in all this. His life ends really harshly. It's a really sad end of his life. But at the same time, he has so much joy for being able to share the gospel right up until the end. Imprisoned, beat, cold, freezing. In, in, in all of the things that Paul endures in his life, at the end, he is at peace because he's imitating Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that on the cross, your son showed us a perfect image of love. Your, your son died in our place. And we thank you that through the Holy Spirit, if we have responded to that message, Lord, if we have responded to your spirit, we, we thank you that we are your children. And we pray that we're not infants. And I pray if anyone here is an infant, Lord, I, I pray that your spirit would be working in them and that we would all be growing into more and more mature believers who follow after you, who live our lives for you. I, I pray that we would live wise by your standard, not the standard of the world. I, I pray that we, if we feel convicted in this, I, there is someone I'm calling this afternoon, an accountability partner, about some things that I, I just, my worldview is off. And as I reflect on being a father, my worldview is off because I, I just think about it in a worldly way. And Lord, I, I pray for each of us, for the community around us to lift us up in that, not to have people who, who are divisive. I, I pray we would be people who follow after you well. And I pray we would be people that are motivated to follow the spirit of you, not the spirit of this world, that, that we would follow your Holy Spirit. I pray all these things in your name and we thank you for your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen.